0: Our scripture reading this evening is the last chapter of the book of Genesis, which is Genesis 50. Genesis 50, and Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up, and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house. Only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, They left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them, for his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent A messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you. And your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the inspired and infallible Word of God. The text for the sermon is verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Genesis chapter 49 concludes with the death of Jacob. And Genesis 50 then answers the question, now what? And that question is not primarily the question, now what do we do with his body? because the old patriarch down there in Egypt made very plain to his sons that after he died, he wanted them to take his body and carry it out of Egypt back into the promised land. And so that's what they did according to chapter 50. But that question, now what is rather the deep question that is pressing upon the hearts of all of these brothers as they are thinking with terror What now will Father Jacob do unto us? What will he do now? Rather, will all of our brethren do unto us now that Father Jacob is dead? For years, years, years prior to this history, the brothers perpetrated a great evil against their brother Joseph and they sold him as a slave into Egypt. And then through many years and remarkable providence, Joseph was eventually exalted in Egypt. And then these brothers, in order to escape a famine in Canaan, they would go down into Egypt. And there, they would confront their brother Joseph. Only now, he's not that teenager they sold as a slave. Now he's one of the rulers of Egypt, and he has far more power over them than they ever had over him and now they're thinking about all of the retribution and surely he's going to pay us back so that's the burning question now what now what will joseph do unto us and genesis 50 verse 20 is the answer to that question joseph's confession of faith to his brothers But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. This is one of the most well-known, beautiful, cherished verses in the whole Bible. Everybody knows it. It is one of the more theologically rich passages in Scripture. It ties together God's counsel, God's providence, God's covenant, God's Messiah, and all of the good of God, especially the sovereignty of God over all things, even over evil. And though it's not the very last verse of the chapter and book, it does belong to the conclusion of the book, good. That's how the book began, good. And God made everything, and and behold, it was all very good. Good. And then by the instigation of the devil, sin comes into the world and into the human race, and you read the book of Genesis from beginning to end, and that sin just explodes through the whole human race. And you read through the book of Genesis, and there is evil everywhere, even in the covenant family. All kinds of evil. But that evil will never get the last word. Because God is sovereign and God is good. And he's even sovereign over the evil intentions of men. Though you meant it for evil, God meant it unto good. He works all of the evil for good, for the glory of his name, for the coming of the Messiah, for the preservation of his covenant people. And that's Joseph's testimony to his brothers. as they stand before him in their terror. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. So let's take as our theme tonight, but God meant it for good. And we'll look at three things. The evil perpetrated, the good accomplished, and the confession made. It. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. That little it is referring back to evil. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. So what is this evil that was perpetrated? Well, it refers to the brother's murderous attempt to destroy Joseph, And you can read all about that in Genesis chapter 37. The patriarch Jacob was living in the Holy Land, and he had 12 sons and one daughter with four different women at the same time. And it is no surprise that there's all kinds of trouble in this family because God never designed a home to have one man bringing forth children with four different women at the same time. Joseph has a rather, Jacob has a favored son, Joseph, because he was born to his favorite wife, Rachel. So he favored him with that special coat of many colors. And that, of course, filled the 10 older brothers with bitter resentment. So that Genesis 37, verse 4 says, his brethren hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. And that hatred only intensified when Joseph had those two dreams, one of the sheaves and the other of those heavenly bodies, and he told those dreams to his brothers and prophesied of his future supremacy and how they would be bowing down before him. And they hated him all the more. But they not only hated him, Genesis 37 verse 11 says, and his his brethren envied him. And then you think of Proverbs 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand? Joseph? Who is able to stand before envy? Then all this hatred and all this envy within the brothers, it came to expression in their, their treachery and their cruelty. So one day these older brothers were out in some distant fields as shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks by day. And they look up on the horizon, and here he comes, their 17-year-old brother, Joseph. And so they start plotting uh, about what they can do, and they decide, we're going to take him and kill him, throw him into one of these deep pits, and we'll say that a wild animal devoured him. And Reuben said, no, 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 we're not going to kill him, let's just take him And throw him into one of these pits. And so they're going over their plot. And here comes Joseph. It's just an ordinary day for Joseph. And he's completely oblivious to all of their murderous intentions. And he arrives. And then they do something to him that neither he nor they would ever forget. As long as they all did live. As he arrives, they brutally assaulted him by tearing off his coat, taking him, and casting him into one of those pits. Those deep, deep, dried out wells. So he hits the bottom of the pit, and obviously he's stunned, he's dazed, he's confused, he's betrayed. And they sit down along the brim of the pit up top, and they take out their lunches and start eating lunch in their calloused hatred. And then they look up, and here comes these Ishmaelite merchants. So they haul brother Joseph back out of the pit. They sell him to these Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, which according to later, Leviticus 27 verse 5, is the measly price of a male slave between the ages of 5 and 20. He fits that. He's 17. So they sell him. He goes with these these new masters, the Ishmaelites, and he trudges his way off to this strange new land of Egypt. And all the brothers watch him go convinced they will never see Joseph again. He's gone. He's gone forever. And you know the rest of the story how he's sold into Potiphar's house, and his devilish wife tries to lure him into fornication, and then she concocts all these lies against him. He's thrown into prison. Years later, he's taken out and exalted by Pharaoh, and now he stands in this history as one of the rulers in Egypt. But now, looking back, evil that's what he calls it. But as for you, He thought evil against me. And that word is really bringing out the the experience of it. The misery, the anguish. Evil. This was a terrible evil that was perpetrated against Joseph. And that for a few reasons. First of all, this evil was so terrible because it was intentionally perpetrated by human beings. There are many very, very painful evils in life. You think of Job. And how he said to his wife, what? Shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and shall we not receive evil? And That was Job's word to describe all of the miserable things that God brought into his life. The fire that burned his animals and his servants. Evil. The great wind that came and smote the house of his adult children, killing all of those children in one day, evil. Those agonizing boils that covered him from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, evil. They were all evils. But there is no evil that can make you feel so miserable and touch you so deeply in your personhood as when another human being in Intentionally tries to hurt you. A fire is not malicious. Wind is not malicious. Boils, cancer, they do not consciously try to destroy you. Human beings can be malicious. And Joseph's brothers were malicious. They intentionally hurt him. And that's brought out in the verb, That Joseph uses when he says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. That same verb is actually used again in the text. It's the same Hebrew verb. It just gets translated in two different ways. You thought evil against me, but God meant it. Unto good, it's the same word. It means to plan, to plot, to devise. According to, to the Hebrew root, it very literally means to take a whole bunch of things and weave them all together. And that's what they did. They took all these thoughts of evil and weaved together a plot against Joseph. It was intentional. They didn't accidentally do something to him to which they could have immediately responded, Joseph! We are so sorry. We did not try to do that. Nor was it the case that all of a sudden in a fit of rage without any premeditation. They struck him. That's not what happened. They planned this. They plotted it. They thought it intentionally. And it's that kind of evil as intentionally perpetrated by a human being, that can leave wounds that, that go way, way, way deeper than wind and fire and boils or cancer. The kind of wounds that cause someone to cry out, why? Why did you do that to me? How? How? could you have done that to me? Secondly, what makes this evil so terrible is that it was not only intentionally perpetrated by human beings, it was perpetrated by Joseph's brothers. It's one thing to have an Egyptian seductress try to lure you in and then plot against you with lies so you get thrown into prison. That's one thing. That's horrible. That's one thing. It's it's one thing to have some enemies outside of the covenant, and maybe someone here experiences that in the workplace. Some ungodly man who is determined to destroy you and your reputation. So that's one thing, an enemy outside the, the covenant. But your brothers? Your own family? Proverbs 17 verse 17. A friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So if there is one person, even one, who will never lay a finger on you and never imagine any kind of mischief against you, If there's one person who's going to be there in your day of adversity with all of his love and care and protection, he'll be there because he's born for your day of adversity. That's your brother. And now listen. But as for you, and he's looking at his brothers, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. A terrible evil. In the third place, what made this evil so terrible is that it was the work of the serpent. The serpent was involved. Whether Joseph is fully conscious of it or not, we know, interpreting Scripture with Scripture, that we can't interpret and evaluate this evil without looking at the light that shed upon it. From Genesis 3 verse 15, the constant warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, that great malicious evildoer is the serpent. And all evil began with him as he instigated the fall of our first parents. And all of the evil that continues through the old dispensation is the work of the serpent as he's trying to destroy the seed of the woman and any God-fearing representative of God's covenant like Joseph. And years later, it's the serpent who's plotting and working to get the Jews together with Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles to take counsel against God's anointed, the Messiah. The serpent is after the representative of God's covenant, Joseph. And that adds to all of the the misery and the evil here. A great evil was perpetrated, but as for you, he thought evil against me. And when Joseph speaks those words, his brothers know exactly what he's talking about. Evil. It had been 39 years. They did this to him when he was 17. And he was sold as a slave into Egypt. And we are told that Pharaoh would take him out of prison when he was 30. Then there were seven good years of plenty, at the end of which he's at least 37. Then there were seven devastating years of famine, during the second year of which the brothers come down and they now see him again for the first time. So he's 30 plus 7 plus 2. He's 39. And then they go get Father Jacob and they bring Jacob down and the narrative tells us that Jacob would live there for 17 years before he dies and that's our that's our historical context here in chapter 50. He just died. So you've got to add 17 to 39. Joseph's 56 right now. They did it to him when he was 17. That means it's 39 years ago and when he says but as for you ye thought evil against me they know exactly what he's talking about and they don't feign any kind of ignorance and say wait a minute what are you talking about i i we don't remember any of this reuben you're the oldest what's he talking about simeon levi judah what is this they don't do that in fact They are the ones who bring it up in genuine repentance. Verse 15, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil, all the evil which we did unto him. It's like it just happened yesterday. is that fresh in their mind. All this evil. And they're not only terrified of what might happen, They are sincerely, genuinely penitent. And so, they don't dare to come before him, so they'll send a messenger to him. Verse 16, And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, and they're not making this up, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil and now we pray unto thee forgive the trespass of the servants of the god of thy father forgive forgive and we know from what's coming what joseph says unto them that they are genuinely penitent and so here they are now and remember he's he's 56 so they're in their 60s they're in their 70s these are older men they actually fall on the ground Verse 18, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face, exactly as he prophesied. They fall down before his face and they said unto him, behold, we be thy servants. These are servants and they recognize that before their master. These are poor, guilt-stricken beggars who are pleading and who are begging for mercy and forgiveness. They know the evil that they have perpetrated against Joseph. And they're sorry for that evil. They're pleading for forgiveness. And then there stands Joseph. Verse 17. And he's so overcome with emotion. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. He starts crying. Look at all these brothers. Everything they did, and now lying down on the ground, pleading for mercy. And he says unto them, verse verse 19, fear not, for am I in the place of God? And now the words of the text, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. Evil. A horrible evil was perpetrated against Joseph. But, God meant it unto good. You have all this evil. The evil perpetrated by the brothers. The evil worked by Satan. The evil as it was experienced by Joseph in standing behind all of it. Is God who intended and who worked and who accomplished Good in all this evil. But God meant it unto good. The good that God accomplished is the preservation of his covenant people, and that's defined in the last clause of the text, as it is this day, to save much people alive. There it is. That's the great good. God accomplished it to save much people alive. Prior to this history, God had sent that devastating seven-year famine into the land of Egypt and all of the surrounding territory, and it threatened to consume from the face of the earth all men and beasts. And that famine also threatened the lives of the peculiar covenant people of God, the family of Jacob in the land of Canaan. And most serious and significant of all, that famine threatened to take the life of Judah. And now, his son phares you don't read anything of Judah, and now his son Pharez in the text of the surrounding context, but there is no one on the face of the earth who is more significant in this history than Judah, and now his son pharez because in the whole of the old testament there's nothing more significant than the messianic seed the messianic line that begins in adam And it will run through Seth, and it will run through Noah and Shem. And fast forward, it will run through Boaz and Obed and Jesse and David. And that line and seed will run all the way to our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you take that line and back it up into this context, that line runs through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob. And which of the twelve sons? It runs through Judah and now his son Pharez. If that famine comes and it wipes, it consumes this covenant family, including Judah and Pharez, so that there's no continuation of that seed in that line, there's no Messiah. There's no atonement for sin. There's no righteousness before God. There's no salvation for anyone, anywhere, at any time. All human beings will perish everlastingly in hell The glory of God will be turned into shame. His covenant will crumble into the dust if that line is severed and terminated. And the famine threatens it. Now don't you brothers see it today? Right now, as it is this day, the great good that God has brought to pass this day, He has saved much people alive. Good. Years ago, God delivered me from prison in Egypt. And God gave me wisdom to understand the dreams of Pharaoh. And God gave me wisdom to start stockpiling the resources into the storehouses in preparation for the famine so that there's food here in Egypt that good. And now look at brothers. The famine strikes all the way in Canaan. And you, the covenant people of God, you can come down to Egypt here and you have food. You, you are preserved. That's the great good that God accomplished. He has saved much people alive. But there's no way that Joseph even can fully comprehend the full import of his words when he, say, when he says to save much people alive because that much people isn't limited to this covenant family of Jacob That much people will include all the elect Jews of the old dispensation. It will include all the elect Jews and Gentiles of the new dispensation. It's all the elect people of God. You are in the text. I am in the text tonight. In the word people. Ultimately, that is all God's elect people. God has saved much, much people alive this day by keeping this line. If he doesn't keep this line, there's no Messiah, no cross, no resurrection, no gospel, no salvation for anyone. By preserving you here in Egypt with this food, God has accomplished good this day. He's preserved the covenant people, the line, great, great good. God accomplished it. As only he can. And how did he accomplish all that good? It was through the evil perpetrated by the brothers. So we have two dots then to connect. On the one hand, there's this 17-year-old shepherd boy in Canaan who is a nobody. Nobody knows him. His name is Joseph. On the other hand, we have a 56-year-old ruler in Egypt who rides in Pharaoh's second chariot, who wears Pharaoh's ring, and is the one before whom all knees bow as all men from everywhere around come and get food from him. And his name is Joseph. And these are the same people. 17-year-old boy, 56-year-old ruler. How? How in the world does this teenager become this ruler and it's through all that evil? the evil that was perpetrated by the brothers by which he was taken into Egypt and you trace the history. God accomplished great good and he did that through This evil. And that brings us to the two great theological realities of the text as we connect the good to the evil. And the first is providence. Providence, of course. Providence is taught in the text in the phrase to bring to pass. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is is this day. To preserve, to save much people alive. Providence is the almighty and everywhere present power of God. Basic catechism. Whereby God upholds, he governs, he controls everything in the universe. So that everything is brought to pass. By his hand. That's providence. All of the good of this history. And all of the good that's coming. It was brought to pass. By God's providence. But so was all of the evil. It was brought to pass. By God's providence. God bears no responsibility for the sins. That were committed by the brothers. God never manipulated those brothers to hate Joseph. God never coerced those brothers to hate Joseph and imagine evil against him. They had a will, and with their evil will, they decided to do it, and they carried it out. They're fully responsible for everything they did. And years later, when Pontius Pilate and the Jews and the Gentiles devised all kinds of evil against God's anointed son, they are fully responsible for all of the evil that they perpetrated at Golgotha. It's their evil. And yet at the same time, God in his absolute sovereignty controls all that evil by his hand of providence. He brings that evil to pass. He's even sovereign over the king's heart. No. Surely, if God is sovereign, he might be sovereign over, over corn and grain. Over this or that of the field, but not over the very heart of man. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God is sovereign over absolutely everything. And by his providence, he controls absolutely everything, including all of this evil. Now that's a great mystery. Belgic Confession, Article 13. It surpasses our understanding. Man is fully to blame for everything he did. God is absolutely sovereign in control of everything man did. Surpasses our understanding. And we will not curiously inquire into it farther than our capacity will admit. But by, by God's grace, we will believe the very simple, plain, testimony of the scriptures and we will humble ourselves before the majesty of god that by his providence he brings everything to pass including this evil but for good for good not not to destroy joseph or the covenant people it's for good it's always for good. But there's an even greater theological reality in the text. Not only God's providence, it's God's eternal counsel. And that's the teaching of the text with its main verb. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it. That's powerful. God meant it. It does not say that God worked it. Oh, God worked it. That's providence. God worked all that evil for good. But that's not what Joseph says. He says God meant it. That's the same verb, thought. He thought it. He planned it. He devised it. He took all kinds of thoughts and He weaved them together as a plan. God meant it unto good. That brings us back to God's eternal good pleasure, God's counsel. So that here in this history, Joseph does not simply go to God's providence for comfort. Joseph goes all the way back to God's counsel. We do not say enough about evil and good and the relationship between them. If we only stay in time and we reckon with providence, we have to go all the way back to God's eternal counsel. When we teach the absolute sovereignty of God, we may never leave the impression that evil arises in the world and then God arises in his sovereignty and by his providence he takes that evil and he works it all together for the good of his people. We have to go back all the way to God's eternal counsel. The absolute sovereignty of God is manifested ultimately in his eternal good pleasure whereby he planned all things that shall ever come to pass. He determined them, all things including evil, Everything must be traced back to God's counsel. Not only the good, but also the evil. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever God formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting, God planned that these brothers would cruelly and maliciously plot Against Joseph. God planned that. And that this Egyptian seductress. Would try to lure him into fornication. And lie about him. So that he's cast into prison. God planned that. And years and years and years later. When those Jews. And Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles together. Took counsel against God's anointed son. Jesus Christ. God eternally planned that event isn't that what peter preached in that great pentecost sermon of acts 2 verse 23 when speaking of jesus peter said him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of god ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain everything everything including all of the evil, was planned by God. This is the the rock of the absolute sovereignty of God. The rock over which all unbelief stumbles. And if it were not for the grace of God in giving to us faith, every single person in this building tonight, head for head, man for man, we would all stumble over this rock The clear teaching of the sacred scriptures. The absolute sovereignty of God and his counsel. I'm not in control. You are not in control. No man is in control. God is in control. Yes, we are rational, moral creatures. We have a heart, a mind, a soul, strength. We have a will. We have intention. We act. We make plans. But God is not only sovereign over us, God is sovereign before us and before all things in his determinate counsel. And he executes that counsel through all the evil intentions of men. Absolutely sovereign over everything. That doesn't make the brothers any less guilty. That doesn't make their sin any less sinful. They are to blame. They committed the sin. God never hated Joseph. They hated Joseph. God never plotted against Joseph. They plotted against Joseph. God wasn't envious against Joseph. They were envious against Joseph. God did not hate his son at the cross. They hated his son at the cross. They murdered him at the cross. Ye have taken him in wicked hands of crucified and slain. Man is to blame. But God meant it. He did. He meant it. And here's the great question. He meant it. For what? Unto what? And if He means that evil for evil, for evil as an end in itself, He is the most horribly wicked being in the universe. But don't you ever think that way. Listen to the infallible Scriptures. But God meant it. Evil. God meant it. Unto good. For good. Always. For good. For the good. The glory of His own name. Good. For the continuation of that messianic line and the coming of the Messiah. Good, the preservation of His covenant people here. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. These words of the text then are Joseph's confession. He speaks it. These brothers, terrified, having fallen down before him. Now he has something to say to them. It's his confession. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. That's such an astonishing display of God's grace that Joseph makes this confession here. That's the greatest display of God's grace in the whole text. There's so much grace in the text There's so much glory of God in the text. His counsel, His providence, His covenant, His salvation, His Messiah. All the words, all the concepts of the text. It's so deep, it's so beautiful. But the greatest display of God's grace in this text is that He gives Joseph the grace to believe this. And to confess this. It's true whether he believes it or not. It's true whether he confesses it or not. He actually confesses this. And not just in the abstract, as some theological truth. He confesses this about his own life and circumstances. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good... It's such a remarkable confession. And there are some children of God who can't make this confession at a particular time. That's not a good thing. That, that's a bad thing. That indicates a faith that is so, so weak. It's not even burning any longer. It's, it's hardly smoking. need to be revived. And God will revive them. But at a particular moment, it may happen that a child of God can't even say this. And all that does is underscore the reality that this is all the marvelous grace of God that he brings Joseph to make this confession. God meant it unto good. It is grace then that makes Joseph in this confession compassionate and willing to forgive. Now, had those brothers been impenitent, of course, Joseph would have confessed the goodness of God. God is always good. But he would not have confessed the goodness of God to them to comfort them. Not if they were impenitent. He would have exhorted them to repent. Brothers, you don't have to fear me as I stand above you this day. You lie here on the ground. But you do have to fear the just God and His retribution. Repent of your evil this day. That would have been a very compassionate thing to do and say. But given their penitence, here He confesses, you thought evil against Me. Now that Father Jacob is dead, you don't have to cower at My feet and think, that I'm going to repay each of you a hundredfold. And now I'm going to strip you all naked. I'm going to scourge you and lash you with a whip. I'm going to sell all of you into hard slave labor here in Egypt. And I'm going to cast you into the deepest dungeon of Egypt. Brothers, I love you. And I am so glad that God has brought you to repentance. For all of the evil you perpetrated, I'm not going to hold it against you. Why? Why should I be angry and resentful? God meant this for good. May God give to all of us that same Spirit, the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he's hanging on the cross. And he heard it. He heard it. The hatred. Crucify him. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Father. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. And what? 50 some days later at Pentecost. God by his almighty spirit works in some of them. Brings them to genuine repentance. So they cry out. And on the basis of that sacrifice, God forgives them. By God's grace, he's compassionate and he forgives. Secondly, by God's grace, Joseph in this confession is humble. So that he says, you thought evil against me, but then he doesn't say, but now I'm going to vaunt myself above God Go into the highest heavens and contend with the living God for bringing all of this evil and horrible suffering into my life. Why did you do this, God? I'm not going to vaunt myself now above you, brothers, and say, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Brothers, I'm worthy. I'm worthy of the everlasting wrath of God also. I too am nothing but a poor sinner saved by grace. And though you were so wrong to do this, horrible evil, wrong, so wrong, and you hurt me so deeply, I know God meant it for good. And I submit to that. I do, I submit to that. I humble myself before God's will. And is that not the Spirit of our Lord? When He's hanging on that cross, it's the Spirit of the Lord here. He's on that cross and you think of all the evil that was perpetrated against Him, but worse than all of it, God's wrath poured out upon Him for the sins of much people. And you want to know how amazing the Gospel is? God's wrath poured out upon Jesus for sins He never committed for the sins of those brothers. For all the evil they perpetrated against Joseph, Jesus had to die for them to cover that sin. And all Joseph's sins and all my sins are your sins. And Jesus didn't commit any of them. That's God's will that He suffer on our behalf. And he humbled himself before God. It's God's grace that makes Joseph here humble. And third and finally, it's the grace of God that makes Joseph in this confession devoted to God. And to the covenant people. By nature, Joseph is no different than I am. No different than you are. By nature, he would not have been able to turn away from himself. He would have have focused on himself and said, you thought evil against me and now I'm a victim of your treachery and my life is forever changed and forever ruined. There will never be any good for me. Ever. None of this honor I possess in Egypt, it doesn't matter. Anything, anywhere, at any time, you have ruined my life forever. Period. So much grace. He looks away from himself to God and to his covenant people and says, Brothers, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. What good? Look, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. And he doesn't say what we might expect him to say, and it would have been legitimate, we may say this, To bring to pass as it is this day to save me alive. Me. Of course, that's true. All things work together for my good. You must make that confession personal. And we do. And that's what we bring to the poor beleaguered brother or sister in the congregation whom we know who may have had some great evil perpetrated against them say, brother, sister, I can't even begin to fathom what happened to you. I can't. There's no way I can. And then for me to think about the fact that it was even a family member, your own family did this to you? I can't even imagine. But I know and believe this, and I pray you will too, that God God will work all of these things together for your good. Though you sow in tears. You will reap in joy. God is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's personal. That's not what Joseph says. It's astonishing. Much people. To save much people. He looks out at God's covenant. And all God's covenant people's brothers. So much evil. But God meant it for good. Now now get up. You don't have to be terrified lying down on the ground before me. See, you think I'm going to seek vengeance. You do that because you're operating under this wrong assumption that it's all about me. It's never been all about me. And all my hurt and my suffering and my pain. I've never made it all about me. You you perpetrated horrible evil against me. But I've never made this all about me. And if it was all about me, I assure you, right now, I would seek vengeance. And I would pay all of you back a hundredfold. I would. Brothers, I was not about me. Look, look at what God has done through all of this. He has saved much people alive. Look at our great God in all of His glory. Look at this promise of the Messiah that stands firm and sure. God's covenant will continue for a thousand generations. God's promises are true. Not a word of God will ever fall to the ground. God will always preserve and keep His covenant people That's the great good He's accomplished in all of this. He meant it for good. And now may God be gracious to all of us, whatever the circumstances of our life may be, that we are able to confess, even in the most difficult trials and hardships of life, God means this for good. He is always and forever a good God. Glory be to Him now and forever. Amen. Father, Thou art God and God alone. We stand before Thee so small, so insignificant tonight and sinful in ourselves, great and greatly to be praised thou art, and for all thy marvelous works on behalf of us in thy covenant, we cannot thank thee enough. And so, Father, do not allow us ever to speak against thee. Good God, may we too confess thou art a good God. So give us that grace for Jesus' sake. Amen.